Witchy and Weird, I'm here with an amazing guest today. Um, I'm here with Asata de la Cruz. And Asata has a business called Kajkor Rising, which is an apothecary deeply rooted in fostering community through the appreciation and application of Yoruba and Chata ancestral wisdom. In addition to organic herbs, extracts, and oils for purchase, uh, there are biweekly classes and workshops on holistic living, as well as private group bhakti yoga classes and Recognizing that sacred healing begins in the womb, Asata also offers holistic birth and postpartum support as a doula, breastfeeding counselor, and childbirth educator. You do everything, Asata. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. I, I, I feel that. <laughs> but I think it's amazing. So uh, you reached out to me to be on the podcast, and I, I didn't know who you were before then, and I was looking at your page, and I was like falling in love with you and your life and what you stand for and everything. So I was really excited to have you come on. And talk more about like your culture, your reason behind building your empire. Um, it's actually really inspiring. So I wanted to ask you so you can share with the podcast, like, how did you um, get to coming to like, okay, I want to make Cottage Core Rising. This is my business, my, my change that I'm creating. Well, first off, I never heard it referred to as an empire until now, and I like that. So, so thank you. Um, but for me, these everything that I offer with Cottage Rising is something that I have been doing for some of this for at least 15 years, and it's just never been under one umbrella where it's been offered to everyone. Um, so finally, on Samhain, Halloween, Dias de los Muertos, whatever you want to refer to it as, um, this year, I just decided to um, have this softcore launch of Cottage Core Rising, um, where everything's offered as one thing. Um, I have always been so extremely infatuated with the entire like Cottage Core movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I love everything about it. I love everything about returning to that lifestyle and just the simplicity and the peace of it. But for me, as a person of color specifically returning to that type of lifestyle like it has to have some sort of like social justice environment like it has to I feel like returning to that lifestyle if it's not like anti-capitalist if it's not like all these things and it's not worth it it's just this cute Taylor Swift video which I love Taylor Swift but like I wanted something more than that and so like that's where the name came from is that like I wanted that lifestyle but I feel very strongly that with that lifestyle we have this um we have this obligation to have this movement and to have this uprising and to have like all of this within it so that's specifically where the name came from yeah I love that I noticed that too because Cottage core was really popular like for the past couple of years. And one of the critiques that I saw like consistently was like, it is very like escapism, a way for like white people to just be like, okay, I'm leaving. I'm not gonna help, you know, the communities here, the people who are like being oppressed and all these things. So I I really like that you took that and you're like, I'm reclaiming this for myself and I'm gonna 
do what I want to do in it and create a safe space and create, like you said, like anti-capitalist, anti-racist, like all these things, because I, that is something that Cottagecore is missing deeply. <sighs> yeah, I definitely think that was one thing that I was afraid of and stuff too. And I first started like getting into is that this feels very like white woman escapee and so I was like how can I like be a part of this and a part of this movement and still be true to who I am and then I ended up learning there's like this entire like underground movement within Cottage Core of like black girls specifically that are involved in the Cottage Core movement so we're here we exist and we're <laughs> tired of white women taking over <laughs> every subculture yeah and I feel like it's it's always, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but I feel like so, a lot of people have that. I feel like it's better when people of color do it anyways. Like it's cooler. It has more meaning, has more depth. Like there's more that we can learn from it. So I like, thank you for doing this. And so much of this, like what people are like, this was our lives. Like we lived in villages and in tribes and like have the, had these lives before like settler colonialism and like all of these things happen so it's not like this new thing that we're getting into this is how we were yeah yeah that totally makes sense too and I feel like that kind of speaks to like the like tone deafness of like white people being like I want to escape to this life and it's like well you like your your ancestors said that that life was stupid and illegal exactly. and <laughs> so and ripped it away from us and we're trying to reclaim it so I love that. Okay. So I wanted to talk to you more about like your story because you said you've been doing all of these things for a while. So how, like, how long have you been doing like apothecary stuff? How did you get into like creating natural products? Um, Well, everything, including like spirituality, it'll actually this year be about 21 years of me like doing all this. Like I started when I was when I was 12 years old was when I realized that I was mm. gifted or like I was told I had special gifts or like whatever you want to call it. Um, like my, I guess first backing up is that my family is Catholic-ish, mm. <laughs> like emphasis on the ish part, um, like kind of the tradition and stuff that I grew up with. It's commonly referred to as like Louisiana voodoo or Creole voodoo, um, but it's like this combination of West African traditions, specifically Aruba and Catholicism and like Santeria. And it's just this blending of all of it. And most of it comes from, again, that colonization of that when we were brought here, we were not able to openly practice our faith and like practice our Yoruba traditions. So we had to blend it within Catholicism. And so then still today, now all these years later, like so many of the descendants, like that's just still what we practice because that's what we grew up with is like this blending with Catholicism. Um, so like I grew up with that. And when I was 12 was when I started to really explore and to learn like what my spiritual gifts were. And so that was when I started like spiritually, like doing more things. Like that was when I started learning more about being gifted as a healer and learning about reading tarot cards and just really like exploring with that and then it wasn't until way until adulthood that I really started really embracing it again and it really it happened once I became pregnant with my daughter um because like even though like I like kind of grew up with this it was still kind of this like hush, like secretive type thing um, because there's still so much stigma, particularly within like communities of color of people being anything but 
just this traditional Christian type person, mm-hmm. um, like, or even honestly, not even just within like our, our communities, I feel within like witchy type communities and stuff too, like it's mm-hmm. considered black magic. And like, that has such like a dirty, like label and stigma to it. Um, and so it was something that like, I was like really ashamed of and I thought was weird and I wanted to like fit in with everyone else. So I kind of pushed it away for a very long time. And then uh, three years ago when I got pregnant with my daughter was when it just, I couldn't hide it anymore. And I don't know if it was just me and my desires and like how I wanted her to be raised in her culture, or if it was something that like spiritually, that was just like awakened in me of that, like, I can't just like suppress this anymore. Um, and so that was when, and also, like I said, I knew I wanted to be able to pass all these things on to her. So that was when I really started practicing again. Um, and so getting more into like holistic remedies and learning more of like, that's actually when I moved back to like our family's land and it's like living on like the land and stuff from our family and, um, just being like a part of all that and like immersing myself in it really for her. So I could have this to pass on to her. Oh, that's so beautiful. I feel like that's like a common thing. Like when we, when people have a child, like it just makes like, I don't know. It's like, now I have like an even higher purpose in life. And you're like, there's no excuses anymore. Like my mom always talks about the same thing. She's like, I was really shy. I was a pushover. And then once I had you, I spoke my mind. I didn't let anybody say anything because I knew I needed to be a mom for you. So I think it's um, so beautiful how children can like inspire us to be like, okay, this is just be you. So uh, it's such it a really blessing. gives us that push that we need because I feel like so many of us we have these desires to break like generational curses and trauma and to like get through these things for ourselves. But like when you have another little human that's dependent on you doing that, it just pushes you even more. Yes, and I know it's a podcast, but the smile that came on your face when you were thinking about your daughter is just so. <laughs> It's so crazy because I literally spend every second of every day with her and my mom took her so I could do this podcast interview so she wasn't so feral in the background. <laughs> I'm like, I miss my baby. <laughs> Dang, oh, that's so cute. Oh. So, okay. So you were saying like when you grew up, it was like a mix of things. And then when you first started practicing, like you realized it was very like white centered. So how did you start to like, get to your like traditional like you practice Yoruba and Chata like how did you start folding that into your practice um well like I said like growing up with it it was something that was honestly for me very confusing because it was still like my family had like these different like practices and things that we did but they were always so afraid to put like any sort of label on it Mm -hmm. or to actually call it what it is it was always masked into something else and so then like I went to like traditional Catholic schools and then I would like bring things up to like the nuns and stuff there and they're like no we don't do that (laughs) so like it was just this very very confusing time for me and so like I didn't really like fully understand exactly what it was I even believed in and what my family believed in and like what was okay and then um early into adulthood, I finally started kind of connecting with people and like the local witchy-ish community and stuff here. But it was like a completely different thing then because it was, I was the only person of color. 
Mm. I was the only person that didn't practice like Celtic Wicca or Norse Wiccan and all this stuff. And that was what everything they did was completely centered around that. So I went through like several years of feeling like, okay, if like, this is like what I want to believe and this is the world that I want to be in, like, this is like the path I have to go down. And so like, even doing things of like, for the longest time, I was referring to myself as like Athena Ravenfire was like my name for a while. And like all these things, because like, they're telling me that like, this is the only way to like do this path. Um, and so again, it's like, I like I always bring up my daughter, but like, that's what kind of became my saving grace because I became pregnant with her. And so that really pushed me to like, leave that community of like, this is not where we fit in. There has to be more than this. So I just kind of went back to the basics of like, I'm just going to really focus on reconnecting with my ancestors and see what happens from that. And so that was where it started was like, I started being more diligent about every day, going to my ancestral altar and doing like ceremonies that I remember from childhood and like giving offerings and just like praying for some sort of guidance. And literally from that, like that is what opened the door to everything for me. Um, And I was able to like reconnect with like family members and for them to really start like teaching me like certain paths and like um, teaching me certain ceremonies to pass on to my daughter and we've just gotten to travel, like I said, and like meet family. And it's just been this really amazing experience. And I feel like it was because of, I finally was like, Hey, like I'm ready. And I just kind of went to the source of like, I prayed to God. And then like, I prayed to like my ancestors to be like, Hey, just lead me and like, tell me where to go from here. And, and that's what did it. And I've like really stuck true to that with everything in my life of knowing that like, if I ever feel lost or confused, or I'm trying to figure stuff out, like just going back to the bases of my ancestors and just asking them to help me. I love that. So you mentioned like, was it like awkward with your family or like having them like teach you these ceremonies? Cause I know you were saying like, they didn't really feel safe like saying what they were or were you because you took on that mantle they were like oh it's okay now it's really weird my family is very divided on it to an extent um it's one thing that kind of universally my family has accepted that like I'm just kind of that weird witchy oddball of the family and so people just expect like whatever from me and they're just like whatever it's fine um and my mom is so incredibly open and so all about like learning and passing on whatever she knows and like helping us find other family members and she's really going on this journey like with me and my daughter as well so that's been super amazing um my granny is just kind of like like I'll pray for you like that she like worked through this or whatever so she's supportive but just kind of doesn't want anything to do with it so like that's how like my inner circle has been but outside of that like meeting like cousins and aunts and stuff that are practicing um they really have just I feel for the most part have been really excited that somebody wanted to revive this in our family um like they still have that fear of that I feel like you just never get rid of that that fear of knowing that we we were literally killed (laughs) for practicing our faith in this country like it's just it is what it is so like that fear has like continued on to each generation so they do worry and they do have that concern and especially because we live in the deep deep south (laughs) so like there's still there's that added fear in there as well um but as a whole it's just been 
everyone in our family feels so, so inspired by Dahlia. And we all feel that like, Dahlia is my daughter. And we all feel that like, she has this blessing that the ancestors have given us to like really reconnect and to really bring our family back together and to start really this new lineage of like bringing all of our traditions back so that like they aren't forgotten. And then like her and her kids and everything like continuing on, like they'll always remember this. And we don't have to like, kind of do all this scrambling that we're doing now of like making sure to put all the pieces back together like we'll already have that so it's been great oh, I love that so I'm curious like well I guess I want I want to ask you to share in your own words like what you're practicing because you were talking about like a lot of uh, people of color their culture and their like spiritual practices are like demonized so I just want like if anybody doesn't know like what Yoruba is or what Chata is like so that you can explain it to them so they can have like a greater understanding also to know like if it's a closed practice like don't try this at home if you're white you know like stuff like that um well it's a mix well first off what's really unique about my family is that my family is both Yoruba and Chata and so it's two not completely separate practices but like it is two different like cultures but there is so much like crossing and stuff like in it and so like it works for us um so it is two different faiths um, and like my family does practice both. Most, there are certain aspects that are closed practices, mm -hmm. um, specifically for, in two ways, like it's closed practices for people that are not um, Yoruba or indigenous. And then some of it is very specific things to my family mm -hmm. that like people outside of our family don't, we're not allowed to share it like with them. Um, we, for the, I'll talk about me personally, because I am, there's some things that I don't practice that the rest of my family does. Um, so in our house, we have, um, within Yoruba tradition, there are Orishas, which are um, like deities or some traditions, like some people call them saints, some people like call them whatever, it really just depends. Um, and there are different ones that you can kind of devote your life to and dedicate your life to. And so for me personally, Yemiya is the one that like I have dedicated my life to. Um, interestingly enough, my daughter, who is only two, um, she is a very, very spiritual person. She kind of like makes her own path and like everything in life. And so she has been very, very drawn to Shanga um which is another Arisha and so that's kind of where her life is headed and so like she has like we have an ancestor altar that we go to like each day she has like her Arisha bees for Shango that like she wears and like she gives offerings to and like everything it's been like really amazing to like watch her just kind of like take her own thing um so that's kind of like in terms of Arisha's like where things are in our house um and it's very different. Like I said, for us, like we're very into ancestor veneration. So um, that's the way we start off our day. Like we go to our altar, like we say a prayer. Again, with us having so much fusion within like Catholicism, a lot of the prayers we say like are traditional Catholic prayers. Um, and like I said, we give an offering and like my daughter helps me like like the candles and we just spend like a few moments like in prayer, like at our altar. And that's something that is actually common on both our Yoruba side and our Shata side. So like that's been really good with that. Um, and then after that, in terms of kind of how our daily practice goes, is that like we usually go outside on the land and like do some sort of ceremony. Um, like I've really been teaching Dahlia lately about like foraging and finding things for the land, but it's so different 
for us and our community foraging as opposed to like I feel a lot of like white witchy communities and stuff like it's so innately spiritual for us and we still have our reaches that are connected to the land Mm -hmm. so before we can go out and get anything we have to perform a ceremony asking if it's okay um and so particularly the ceremonies that I do for this are closed practice but I know there are some that are out there that if people wanted to learn that they could learn um but it's really just a way of like asking the land and their reaches and God and the creator whoever like hey I'm not just coming to take from you like this is a relationship like I want to thank you and I want to make sure this is okay and this is an offering that I'm giving to you like in exchange for whatever you're giving to me um so every day we usually do something like that and we go find whatever it is that we need to um make tinctures or to make medicine or to add to our altar or whatever um so a lot of like says their reaches and then like our shata side is just our connection to the land and like doing like the ceremonies on the land and teaching um particularly teaching my daughter um about like what the land composed of and like where it's from and what our blessings are from and like how to incorporate our ancestors into that. So a long winded answer to your question (laughs) that like for us, it's just a lot of ancestor veneration and our dedication to the land and choosing like what Orishas we want to work with. Mm, I love that. Did you ever like at any point, I know this is like a common thing for like BIPOC people, especially who are like ancestors from like colonization, like a mix of stuff. Like, did you ever have like weird, like feelings of shame and stuff that you had to work through with knowing like I'm a mix of all these things? Because I know like sometimes when you, when people start connect to like their like native culture then when they realize, oh, I have a lot of like the colonizer culture wrapped in this, there can be like an anger or a shame that comes out. I'm curious to know, like, if you have advice for people who are listening, who might feel that way, or if you did something or had to work through something that you could share with them. I was very, very fortunate that I know that it's been the experience for a lot of people, but it was not the experience for me, Um, specifically just because of the way our like family genetics or like whatever it is like for instance um the Yoruba side of my family they all were brought here right here like to Africa town where we still are um it was the last legal slave ship to the U.S. ever it was actually after slavery was abolished um two men decided to make a bet that they could still go over to Africa and bring like a ship of slaves over and so that was the ship the Clotia that landed here in Africa town that all of my family was on um so right here where we still live is like where like my ancestors landed so like we still have that complete just kind of that tie has never been broken like we're all still here um and then like 30 minutes from that is where um the Shakta side of my family was where they were settled and where their land was and so there was a lot of mixing between the two because they were right there so for me majority of which I don't think I don't want to put an emphasis on this. I don't feel like blood and things like that, like really matter, but like majority of my blood is just Yoruba and Chata. So there was not a lot of like colonizer, like influence, like in that. So I personally just never struggled with that. Um, But for people that do, and like, I see this so, so often, it's just, if you're connecting to your ancestors, your ancestors are just grateful that you're reaching out and you want them to be a part of you. Like there should be no shame in, 
how long it took you to get to this point, <laughs> like the things you did prior to that point or like anything, they just want that relationship. And so that's what I try to really like emphasize with people of that. Cause I feel like so many people don't even start. They don't mm-hmm. start that connection. They don't start their relationship because there is that shame mm-hmm. and they're just, they're literally just here and begging you and wanting to be a part of your life <laughs> and just want you to allow them to. So I think that's the best advice that I can give people is just to approach it just like, a relationship and they're there with like open arms well most of them some of your ancestors may be kind of crap but <laughs> like a lot of them do want to have that relationship with you yeah yeah I've had that experience too I feel like a lot of people are scared to even reach out because they're like I'm not good enough I'm not ready I didn't do this thing I don't know the practices and like your ancestors are like we love you <laughs> no matter what we're here for you so I love that you like reiterated that and shared that um it's so beautiful and so what is like um I'm curious to know like if you're willing to share like ancestor work for you because I know it's different for everybody and I think it's cool for as an example like so people who might be like I don't know where to start like how do I do this what does it look like for you or like what would you share with them around that um if you are starting off in terms of like no one in your family has done this before like you're like the first one in your beginning like I strongly strongly encourage whatever you do to write it all down and to like put everything out there so the next person doesn't have to like do all this um so for me what was really great is that I am super super blessed because most people within like the African diaspora don't have this but like since we are literally on the same land of like where our families landed and we all live in the same area still all those descendants like we have a family history book so it literally has every name from like the tribe they were from in Africa when they were brought over here and it actually stops at my grandmother um and so so I have all of that like right here in a book so I can like call on those ancestors by name I know their family history I know everything about them so I've been incredibly cluttered grateful for that and so what I've decided is that since it stops at my grandmother like I'm going to continue on creating like adding to the family lineage and history book and stuff to continue it on for my daughter so I first of all strongly encourage like if you're starting off to like please do that because future generations are going to thank you. Mm-hmm. And then that's also how you really create the strong ancestral like lineage and the strong ancestral connection is that people are able to like carry that on. Um but if you don't know names and you don't know like any of that like I would start off asking for that. Like people don't realize that like you should just be very specific about what it is you need, like going and sitting outside and being like, hey, God, creator, whatever you want to call it, like, this is what I need. Like, I want to work with my ancestors. I want to have this connection. Like, please just open the way for me. And like, it sounds so simple, like saying it out loud, but but and it really is that simple of like literally just asking what it is for you want that you want and being willing to be open to receive that. And like, I don't, I know that sounds like very like woo woo and like, I don't want to like be like that and stuff, but that, that really is like how it is. Like all of this it's not just this closed thing that's like only open to like every, like individual people anybody can have a relationship with their ancestors anybody can open that door you just have to ask for it and they're right there willing to work for you and then once you open that door then that's when a lot of the research comes in of like figuring out exactly where it is that your family's from and like the things that they practiced and 
um, like finding out if there are elders in that community that like you can reach out to and be like, hey, like this is my family lineage. This is what I want to be a part of. Like, are you able to help me? And like, this is what I can offer you like in return because like it's a relationship. So like, yeah, once you, I like strongly encourage people to do the legwork themselves. But once you get to a certain point, like I feel like you should really reach out to an elder within that community. And that's, that's what they're there for. They're there to help you. Oh, I love that. I'm just like seeing you being an elder in the community one day. I'm just like, oh, that's going to be so fulfilling. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm going to be that old lady that's living in a cottage somewhere surrounded by cats and well, people coming to like learn from me. Like I love, that's like what I look forward to in life and <laughs> old age is getting to that point. <laughs> I know. I feel like as, as someone who loves to know everything and wants to be right, like knowing that people would be coming to ask me questions. <laughs> just feels so good. <laughs> I know it's like I don't know I feel like it's the ultimate thing of like just this full circle of like growing up and being that like weird child that people are like okay like she's kind of off and now I'm like and now you come to me (laughs) so it wasn't so crazy after all yeah like you're you're now feeling like there's no questioning like I know why I'm like this I know what my purpose is I know like this is it like this is the reason why Oh, that's so and that's when it comes back to like having that like inspiration like from my daughter of that like I did grow up feeling so isolated because mm-hmm. I thought I was crazy like I was like feeling all these things like spiritually and my family was like my immediate family was so ashamed of it so it was something that made me feel like all the shame and that something was wrong with me and then like I literally thought mentally I was like having a breakdown <laughs> and like I wasn't and I just I already see so much in my daughter at two of knowing how spiritually gifted she is. And I don't want her to ever feel alone or to ever feel that like that she's crazy and that this isn't like the spiritual thing that's happening to her. So that's why it's so important for me to be so open about my faith and teaching her things. And then my business for the most part has a huge emphasis on other mothers because I like feel so strongly about teaching other mothers like about their faith and spiritual health and physical health and all these things so they can pass that on to their own children and we can like stop like break this like generational trauma of like our kids feeling like crap for being spiritually gifted yeah I feel like that's a huge like anybody who starts their spiritual journey like that's a huge one up they're gonna have like when they have kids like I know a lot of people who have kids now and same as you they're like nourishing their kids spiritual gifts and like making them feel like empowered in them and all that stuff and that like honestly if I had that when I was a kid it would have like I had to wait till I was in after like after college to figure out like I have gifts and all these things that I probably like I exhibited when I was a kid but there was nobody like talking to me about it or encouraging me or giving me a framework or anything so it's like the fact that you're like like helping even other like doing it for your own child but like helping other mothers do that is just really inspiring and I feel like it's something that is missed too in the spiritual community is like talking about that aspect of like family and motherhood and like how do we like there's a lot of like talk about generational like breaking generational stuff um but like in the lens of like how do I do it like to create a better life for my kids I feel like is often missed um so I don't know like if you 
want to talk more about that side of your business, like the work that you do with like womb healing and with mothers and teaching them these things. That's so I'm, I'm curious to know, like for myself, but like, (laughs) I think breaking those generational curses or trauma, whatever you want to call it, um, is really important for you and your own lineage and your family. But for me, I feel like my calling is so much greater than that. And that like, yes, it's great. I want to do it for my daughter and my family. But if it's just us experiencing this, then like, what's the point? Our world's still going to (laughs) suck. So like, it's really important that like all mothers know like what to do and like understand like the sacred power and stuff that they have. And so for me, my spiritual journey for the most part came from being a birth worker. Like that was how I started. Like I was, I've always been super, super passionate about motherhood. I knew from like a very young age that I was going to be a mother. Like that was what I was like called to do. Um, and I just, yeah. So I just felt like that was my calling. So like I went into birth work and so I became a birth doula and a postpartum doula. And then later, um, became breastfeeding counselor and childbirth educator. Um, and so all of that was about women knowing that like all that ancestral healing and that sacred healing and all of that, it literally starts in the womb. Like, this is where it all begins of us learning how to like step into like that next cycle of our life of like, uh, if you want to do made into like mother or like whatever it is that like you want to like call it like that's such a huge first step. And I feel like that's where we so often get it wrong. And it starts this whole cycle of being downhill from here. Um, and so that's why I want to be like so present for mothers, like with actual birth. And then like, if I can't physically be there for birth, like teaching them about childbirth and like giving them that education so that they're able to take and reclaim that power and like do it themselves. And then after that, I feel like, and this is what really pushed me spiritually was that like, I had all this training for like mothers with birth work. And then like, after that, I just felt like they were just kind of left. <laughs> like that was it. They were just kind of on their own to like figure it out. And I know personally, like even from my birth was that like, okay, now I have this child and like my whole life is this child. But like, as a mother, I still need that nurturing and stuff too. I can't give from an empty cup. And so that was when I started again, like doing postpartum classes and then on a spiritual level started offering like yoga classes for mama. And I started um, doing all sorts of like bi-weekly classes. Like one of my favorite classes that I've ever taught was about magical motherhood and like teaching you how to like maintain your own like magical practice, like within the mundane things of like motherhood. Um, and I just feel like there's so much, I feel like if we put as a society put more time and energy and focus into like nurturing mothers like we are we're the creators of this world like we're the ones that are bringing life into it like literally and we're just being like tossed aside and not treated like sacred um so if we figure out a way to do that I feel like that would solve so many of our life's problems we would stop creating these children and bringing them into all this trauma and like just repeating that cycle so yeah that's something I'm like I definitely feel like it's my calling in life (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really rare. I've only met like one other person who views like motherhood like so magically and so beautifully, like especially in like modern 
like medicine and stuff it's like a very like practical thing and you just you get medicine and then you have your baby and then you yeah. get discharged and then it, it's it's treated as just like a medical procedure and like the procedure exactly yeah and and it's it's like you said like it's creating life and we're just like yeah it's a medical procedure like it's so wild to me like and it it really a lot of that actually all of that goes back to colonization and like our like patriarchal society that we have now like women this was something that women did themselves without anyone else like it was like you had the granny midwives you had like all these women coming together within a tribe and like helping that mama like give birth and they, they were we were all by ourselves we didn't have any men we didn't have anyone else like around for like anything and then like we got to a point in society where we kind of shifted from being like matriarchal because of colonization and like all those like fantastic things um and so they just really didn't want women to have that power anymore um of like I said of literally bringing life into the world and so somehow they convinced us that like we can't do it by ourselves so we have to go into like these hospitals and we have to have these doctors and all these procedures and all these things and and that's not to like diminish because I hate to I am not one of those people that's just like it's either or like I feel like natural and holistic medicine and all that stuff can work in connection with science like there are a lot of amazing breakthroughs that we have made with like a lot of like medicine that women were dying from before um like even my own personal birth for example like I had this whole like home birth planned and and then at the end like it did not go as planned at all and I had to end up going into the hospital and I'm so grateful that we had this advancement in medicine and science for me to do this um so I think it's great for when you need it it's just we've convinced women that like they always need it and like they can't do any of these things on their own um so yeah, I just, I think it's super important for us to like get our power back. And that's the first start. That's, that's just going to break everything wide open. I love that. Yeah. Cause I, I, like, I'm even thinking of now, like they, like modern medicine really hasn't done a lot of research into like women's anatomy, like female anatomy and like how that stuff works. Like they put it off for so many years it was seen as like, oh, whatever, like, we'll just like do a lobotomy or something, you know, like it was like random stuff like that. And I think it it is now I'm seeing like, that's totally true. It is like a product of colonization. And like, uh, that's, I love that point that you made, like, it's like blowing everything open for me. I'm like seeing all the connections now. I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, that's so true. Like, like it is because it was the easiest way to control anyone in society or anything is to make them think they don't have power and that they need you like that's like the basis for control and that's exactly what they did and and thankfully I feel like there is just such a huge resurgence of women that are like fighting back against that and like not believing that anymore and my big major focus is like mamas in general but specifically like mamas of color because I feel like we have like institutionally had so much stuff that was like pressed against us to take our power away from us so yeah and even in the medical field like it's not really a safe space for a lot of people of color so uh you're doing, you're literally doing the lord's work out here <laughs> <laughs> I hope so <laughs> So um, I want to know like uh, more about like your apothecary stuff like you you work with the land so do you only make stuff based off of like plants and things that are on your land 
Like, how does that work? It started off that way in my little naive little world. And I didn't realize like (laughs) how much that was going to take. And like, it was a good problem to have that like so many people were interested in like wanting all these things. I'm like, I don't have all these resources. Um, So I have connected with two other indigenous friends that are, we're kind of like training ours. Like they have a lot more like farming space. And so they're sending me things. And so we're able to like work together that way for the things that I don't actually have here myself. Um, and then one thing that we are really trying really, really hard to do is in the area where we're situated, we really are trying to get 10 acres of land so we can open up a community farm and a community school for like all the kids and stuff like in this area. So they can learn how not just, well, I feel like it starts with the kids because then like they can go and teach their families and like it just continues from there, but wanting to teach them like food sovereignty and like how to like be able to be self-sustaining and take care of themselves the way like our ancestors did. So that's like our big project now that we're working on is like trying to like get that land back, trying to buy back our own land, which is yeah. absurd. Um, but it's like buy that back so like we can really start like growing more and like having more like for our community Hmm. but yeah everything in the apothecary is either like from myself or um other indigenous people and there is like again because indigenous people we love our ceremonies so like everything is like a whole process so like once like we get the herbs and their bottle like there's special prayer and ceremony that's said over like every single thing that like I send out every single thing that I sell um and then in addition to that with the apothecary I do bi-weekly classes so to teach people like how to make tinctures and like how to identify different herbs like um like I I do so many different mama medicine classes of like teaching like mama specifically like natural ways of like healing their bodies and then healing their babies as well I love that yeah I think like that kind of stuff is always overwhelming for people and especially like people in the spiritual community working with like offerings and wanting to work with the the earth and like it's magic and stuff I I love that you also offer classes as well as being like a shop for people that that's like really inspiring. I have like an apothecary shop too, but (laughs) I'm definitely not at the point where I'm going to teach people classes. So I'll probably take your class. (laughs) Well, I think for me, the thing was that like, I want to, my main focus is education. So it's like, yeah, I have these herbs and I'm selling them because we live in a capitalist society and I have to be able to feed my family <laughs> and stuff. To, um, but like the main thing is like education. So like, I want you to come to me and like buy all my products. But like, once you buy this, like, I don't want you to buy it for me for the rest of your life. Like, I want you to learn to do it yourself. So your family can continue this on because I feel like I am in a position where like, I am grateful that I have all this knowledge and I'm able to do these things for my family, but there's no good in me having this knowledge and like gatekeeping it and holding it to myself. Like I want there, I feel very passionately about there being this change in the way we live our lives. And that's not going to happen by me selling products. That's going to happen by me teaching people how to do this themselves. So so even with like the classes, like all the classes are pay what you can um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like very strongly about I don't want money to be the reason that someone can't like learn to take care of themselves and learn to like reclaim their like ancestral like wisdom and healing and stuff. So 
everything you're doing is just so inspiring. I, I'm like, I hope everyone who's listening is just as inspired as I am. Like the whole episode, I'm like, mm, this is so good. <laughs> I hope so, because there are days where I'm just like, what am I doing? Does anyone care? <laughs> so. so I'm curious, like, is there any like cool stories that have come out of like your new like practices or deepening of practices and like learning with your daughter that like come to mind that you'd want to share I know like those kinds of stories are always fun um I think with me like I don't know if this is fun but like yeah it doesn't have to be fun really cool thing that like I ended up learning very very recently and it was funny because it just popped up on my time hop today so I just shared it that it just happened a year ago today um but like I it's just always interesting learning about like the diaspora and like the mixing of like people of color and like how like so many of us were like in these tribal communities together and like we weren't all from the same place like we were just pushed to like have to live together and like figure things out but I have always known that my family was Yoruba and Shakta and I again like I know with race mixing and everything I know there has to be something else there but I knew that was just the like base of it and then there were just like so many just like random things that I've always been drawn to and I'm that person that I guess over analyzes everything so if I'm ever drawn to something like there's this deep spiritual meaning mm-hmm. like it's like not that I just like the color pink there has to be this reason from the past life or something so there's just been this whole series of things and then like things started with Daya that I felt and it was all from like this particular region and so then we started just recently last year trying to do more research into my dad's family um, because of like adoption and like things like that like he's lost like so much of like his family history we just know also that they were Creole and Shakta and that was kind of the extent of it we finally found the birth certificate for my paternal great-grandmother and like she's born in Jamaica and it was like one of those things where it was like and it was like every like spiritual thing that we had been looking at and trying to figure out like where this ties in because this has nothing to do with my Yoruba side or Shakta side at all it was all Jamaican and so it was just like this really big validation to me of that I do have this like intuition and this relationship like with my creator with my ancestors that like I listen and I can hear the spirit and I know when like things are being like said to me and like I'm on the right path of like following it through because I follow that through and realize that it wasn't just random like this is like where like his great his grandmother like was born and raised like in Jamaica so there's this whole side of us that like we're trying to explore now so I think that has been like the coolest thing to come out of anything because it was just this really huge validation of like trusting like what I'm feeling like in my spirit and that like I'm always going to be guided like sometimes it's going to like be somewhere way off that like I was not expecting but like there I'm always going to have that guidance right there and it was just really nice to have because like you can feel things a lot of time but like having this like concrete example of like I follow through and like this happened it's like always very fulfilling Yeah. And I think that I've seen that too. Like when you start doing ancestor work or you start doing like spiritual work, you start with what you know. And then as you're ready, like the new stuff starts to come in where it's like, oh, you also have this. And then you're like, oh, okay. And I'm, I feel pretty good about the other stuff that I've been practicing. So now I can like start incorporating. Yeah. I, I, 
a hundred percent believe in that, that like you get this information, like when you're ready. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So wow. For like a year, you've been like trying to learn and incorporate that in. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I finally, it was going back to what you're saying about like, when you're ready, you get these things. So I got this information. I'm like, oh, this is really great. But it just, it kind of like, we were really like so deep into like reclaiming our indigenous roots and like trying to get registered and enrolled and like all these things and stuff. So like it just, it wasn't something I was able to like focus on. And then again, it's crazy because just about two weeks ago, we really started like exploring that again and trying to find out exactly where they were from and finding more relatives now that we had names. And like I said, then two weeks later, this pops up that like, this is why this has resurfaced because it's been exactly one year. It's like now I'm finally like at that point of trying to like incorporate all of that. Hmm. That's really cool. Oh. Um, I do want to ask you about like your, I don't know how to, I don't know the best way to word this, but I know that you have something to say about this, if this makes any sense, but okay. I want to talk to you like and ask you about decolonization and like how you're approaching that, like in your work. I know you already talked about like moving from like you know, Celtic, like white practice over to your own like ancestral, but I know that you're like a leader in the community and you educate a lot of people. And we talked about like if people are trying to reconnect and they feel shame, but I don't know, I just feel like there's something around decolonization that you can share like with the people listening. Um, I don't know, I think it's like different than what most people are saying. (laughs) Hopefully this makes sense. No, I totally get what you're saying. So the biggest thing I've learned on this like decolonization journey of that, like, it is really, really freaking hard. And like, you don't realize how much is embedded into your life. And so you're forced with like new information and having to make that tough decision. And like, for me, it was that like, I committed to being on this path. So that means like there are things from like my life and my childhood and like upbringing or traditions and stuff that like, if I'm going to continue to be true to myself and true to my ancestors, like I have to let go of these things. Um, So like, for instance, it was a really, really big deal for us that like this year's the first year we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving and we didn't celebrate Christmas and it's not something we're going to continue to do anymore. And it's always been this very bizarre thing in my family with Thanksgiving anyway, of that like. We never celebrated in the traditional sense of like, we like, no, there's no pilgrims and like all this crap. So, but like every Thursday, not every Thursday, but every year on that Thursday, like we would have a family meal together and give thanks. And then that following day, we would go to the powwow on the reservation. So, and it was like something that like never really set well with me. I'm just like, there's something off here of like having this Thanksgiving meal, but then going to the powwow the next day, like it just feels weird. And so finally this year, like I spoke up and said something about it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to do this anymore. And then like everyone else, my friends like, I don't either. And I'm like, okay, it was that simple. <laughs> like someone, they were just waiting for someone to speak up. And so we decided that like, we're not doing a Thanksgiving meal anymore. That like, there's no way to, uh, there's no spin you can put on this to make it this positive thing of like, oh, I'm not really celebrating it for this reason. But like, you're celebrating a day of genocide, no matter what you're calling it. Like you're having a meal that was like on a day that was created to celebrate the genocide, like of my people. So I'm like, I can't, so like we, so that was like a big thing. Um, And luckily that went over really well. 
Christmas, not so much. So we're working on it with my family. But for us, it was like, again, continuing that same mindset of that, like, we still have very strong Christian ties within a lot of our faith beliefs because of that Catholicism. Um, and those are things that are really important to me. And there are a lot of aspects of Christianity that I do personally believe in and practice, but that does not change the roots of like a lot of Christian holidays, specifically like with Christmas, that this is another holiday built on genocide and wiping out an entire culture of like pagan people to like convert and and like colonize them. And like, no matter how much you want to put the spin on it of like, celebrating this alleged birthday that we all recognize didn't actually even happen like on this day at all it's just like we can't and we can't try to make it about like, oh it's just kids and giving gifts and family and stuff we just once you, basically I guess what I'm saying is that once you make that commitment to decolonizing like it's something that like it takes over every aspect of your life <laughs> and you start really like thinking about and like really going in depth into figuring out like the meaning behind everything. And if you fully are, if you feel convicted about decolonizing your life, like you can't continue on. And that was like, just how it became for us of that. Like when Christmas like came around, we were just like, we really like, luckily my husband's on the same page as me. And so we're like, we really don't want like to continue this with our kids like we want this to like stop here with us so those were like two major like holidays this year that we decided we're not going to do anymore and I'm sure there's going to be other things that come up but like that has been the big thing is that like I like to prepare people for of that like if you really are going to be committed to this you have to commit to it like all the way across even if that means re-examining things it's really easy when it's like stuff that you never did anyway so you're just preaching to other people like it's a lot harder when you have to start doing it like into actually to yourself and having to change what you're used to and what you may like and enjoy and realizing how hurtful it is and you have to stop (laughs) yes I love that I think that that kind of perspective is really like it makes a lot of sense but it's really interesting how you're saying like if you commit to this there's going to be things you're going to have to let go of that maybe you've done your whole life and you never looked at it that way. And I think it's really like, it's so interesting how your family was like, yeah, we don't really like doing this. We just do it. Like, like yeah, <laughs> it's just, you become so accustomed to something. And then like when someone else is just like, no, this is bad. It's like, okay, this felt off. Like I'm glad, like a lot of times people, and that's what I told people all the time about not being afraid to speak out because people could just be waiting for someone else to say something. Yeah, it's very much like you needed the permission to do it, but it's very like, I don't know, I think it's it shows like how deep like colonizing colonization goes to where it's like nobody was their heart wasn't in it. They weren't feeling connected to it, but like some unforeseen thing was just like forcing them to still do it every year. And all they had to do was say, like, I don't want to do this. And I think that a lot of decolonization like comes down to those moments of like you just giving yourself the power back to say like I don't want to do this anymore I don't relate to this at all I never did yes and I think that's what's so great I feel like about like my generation and then generations that come after me is that like we are speaking up a lot more and we, because we're doing that, we are giving like our elders permission to really be like, you know what? We don't want to do this either. It's just, we've been doing it for so long and didn't know how to stop. So they need that like voice coming in to tell them like, it's okay. We don't have to continue this. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. So, um, 
how can people reach you? Where can they find you? I'll put all of it in the show notes as well. But yeah, I just want to like have you give you the the mic to take up the space. Okay. Um, well, my website is cottagecorerising.com. And then like on social media, I'm cottagecorerising everywhere. So like I'm most active on Instagram. And then even though I swore I'd never get it, TikTok. Um, <laughs> like I am very, very active on TikTok now. So those are like my two main platforms. And then we also have a GoFundMe set up for our land, for our farm, and our school. And it's just gofundme.com slash cottagecorerising. So it's pretty easy I'm cottage core rising across everything <laughs> nice yeah and then your classes and stuff you said you have bi-weekly classes so they have bi-weekly classes website. if you sign on the website on the main page it's right there where you can sign up for the newsletter and so right now that's the only way to get the class schedule um I may end up eventually putting it on the website but right now it's my way of conning people into getting my newsletter so so you sign up for the newsletter you get a schedule and so you know when all the classes are nice well thank you so much for like reaching out to me this this like conversation has been so nourishing in so many ways I'm so excited this was really great thank you Yeah. And I'm sure that plenty of people are, I know like some people, like I, the patrons, I like let them know early who I'm interviewing and I like, I leaked it and they were like really excited. They're like, oh my God, it's going to be a soda. So I, I'm excited to like have this new like relationship with you and to, you know, like have you on on the podcast. It's really inspiring all the different things that you're doing. Um, Yeah. That's pretty much it. I just want to say like, thank you. And you're amazing. (laughs) Thank you. I think you're amazing. That's why I reached out. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And um, tell your, tell your daughter, uh, thank you for, for like letting us have this space. (laughs) I can also have this space too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And um, until next time, everybody, we're going to say bye. If you love Witchy and Weird podcasts, support us by donating monthly for as little as 99 cents at anchor.fm slash witchyandweird slash support. You can cancel at any time and 100% of the proceeds go directly to the pod. Or if you don't want to commit to a monthly donation, buy Amanda a coffee at ko-fi.com slash witchyandweird to help fuel them while they record, edit, create, and upload content for the podcast. And if you're feeling extra generous, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tell your witchy and weird friends about us too. Bye!